0: Welcome to the hand in hand podcast. We are making connections in our community through friendship and mentorship. We are joining hands to bring people together and learn how to better support those who come from hard places. The more we know about trauma and its impact, the more we can work towards stable homes and positive relationships. So let's get learning because together we are the solution. This is episode five, our interview with Michelle Batten. Welcome back, Michelle. We are feeling fortunate that we get to learn from you for another podcast. So thank you for being with us again today. It's kind you invited me. So the last time that we spoke with you, we read a little bit of information from your bio and uh, kind of got a little sense of how you came to do this. But before we dive into the questions that we have for you today. We wondered if you would briefly talk about a little bit more about your journey arriving at where you are today and working with families and children who have experienced trauma.
1: Sure. Um, So I grew up in a home where I had foster siblings. Um, This was the 70s and 80s, so children actually could live with a family for a very long time. There were some kids who um, only lived with us for one night, but there was a family whose children lived with us for six years. Um, wow. my mom was able to come alongside the dad and who was unable to read and help him with something. So the relationships were deep and long for those kiddos. out of that foster, my sister was adopted. She came to us at eleven months of age, out of a neglect situation, and uh, that neglect and the lie that she just wasn't worth the time lived out her um, played out her whole life. so, I headed off to college wondering how was it that a child who had been in a neglectful home for 11 months uh, could be impacted her entire life with this um, feeling that I'm just not worth it. So I headed off to college and studied child development and I actually ended up going into preventing trauma and working in the hospital setting with coping and adjustment. Um, Fast forward to probably six-ish years ago And I was in a large church. There were about 2,000 people and 30 foster and adoption families. And I looked around and went, oh my. Um, I knew that a good education, a loving home, and a good church community, as we said, weren't always the key ingredients. And I looked around and went, how can we change the culture to be supportive of extreme behaviors? How can we change the culture to be supportive of difficult marriages when things get rough with your kids and so I came alongside um, a friend who had adopted a teenager and she was using trust-based relational intervention in her own home and it just made sense to me it matched all of what I had learned about child development with what I knew about hope and healing and from God and it went well so my church community actually sent me to texas christian university to learn about tbri and uh, i brought that back and started a ministry um, to foster and adoptive parents with the help of several other leaders and a counselor and we started a program that the state actually began having some foster families attend and sure enough several years later the families in the church were not as involved with that because there was a lot of Extreme behaviors in their own home. And I grew up my business, Hopeful Connections Parenting, out of that ministry um, as I started to serve the Treasure Valley.
2: Michelle, yes. would you tell the listeners what TBRI stands for and what its overall mission is?
1: Yes. TBRI is Trust Based Relational Intervention, and its pillars are connection. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, attachment, and then empowerment, which is understanding the internal and external factors in regulating behavior, and then correction. So connection, empowerment, and correction are the pillars. And so I teach about those things to foster and adoptive families and help them, um, and and moms and dads, too. They have a
2: DVD series, correct, by Dr. Karen Purvis? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Six part DVD series. series. That is phenomenal. We had some, a sibling group of children that were highly affected by trauma. And so I took the time to watch all of those and it was so informative, so helpful. It actually helped me with my
1: own parenting. I was yeah. really impressed. I think my kids are own children are thankful. I learned about TV. Yeah. exactly well that's fantastic there's a lot of of resources on YouTube
2: also yeah there there's some great information and I think Dr.
1: Purvis did pass away is that right correct and uh, I said see that was spring of 2016 and they're on YouTube on the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development would be the YouTube channel and that is where they have a lot of great three-minute short videos on attachment and connection and the impact of trauma. So well worth investigating.
2: Such great information. So Michelle, uh, in the last podcast, you talked about ways to help those who experience anxiety from trauma. And today we want to talk about a different aspect directed to our mentees, we want to talk about the power of connection and how healing begins with healthy attachments. Will you share with us a little bit about the attachment model and what it is and why knowing it is so important? Sure.
1: I'm. I get a little geeked out by the whole attachment stuff. So I'll keep it as simple <laughs> and uh, really hope to make it relevant because I think it's so important in, in our parenting and in our relationships and friendships and spouse and all those different places where we have relationships. So um, the attachment model talks a lot about the caregiver's history, heavily influencing the way um, we interact with others and particularly that how we give care to our children in the attachment cycle. So the ta- when I refer to the attachment cycle, that is when a baby cries, the caregiver comes and soothes that baby and calms that baby. And that cycle it begins with when that baby cries that there's all the excitatory chemicals in that brain of the baby, and then the caregiver comes and calms down those excitatory um, chemicals, and the brain then gets to learn what it feels like to have the uh, calming neurochemicals. And so as a caregiver consistently comes and meets the needs of an infant, we see the style of relationship and how the child is able to regulate. And so attachment is important because it has a lot to do with how we regulate through situations. So uh, a consistent caregiver providing that calming to an infant calms those brain chemicals. uh, The baby learns to soothe and then Eventually, it also learns to trust. And so that's really important as we think about relationships is that element of trust. Uh, and without the awareness and without hard work, our attachment style from the first 12 months carries on through the rest of our life, wow. which is a time when we don't even have memories of what happens, right? But like my sister, that first 11 months really does influence the, how we understand the relationships ongoing and, and
2: probably forms the brain.
1: Yes, right. But As, here's the good thing to remember: in that is that the brain can still change throughout yes. life. Right? Like yes. I'm cautious, and while it forms the foundation, we get to change that foundation. It can. And it can heal and yeah. Yes. that's a great. And make point. new brain connections at like the neuron level, which is just absolutely amazing to me. That, that brings it, a lot I, of hope. The key is
0: knowing what you're dealing with, though, right? We it we just respond to the behavior without even
1: thinking about where it comes from. Yeah, and so there's really um, when we look at the attachment, there's different styles, and so in helping your mentors understand and the mentees, like how all this plays out and in the relationship between them. Um, because, like I said, that infant relationship is the foundation for how we interact with other people later on. Um, we have some adult attachment styles, and those grow out of the children attachments, childhood ch- attachment styles. So our avoidant attachment styles has to do with the emotionally closed, and they might have vague, this adult might have really vague memories of their childhood, Um, and they tend to behave as if things are more important than people and more Mm. reliable than people. And those would be the people who are avoidant of emotions and engagement and really what we would think of as attachment. We get our entangled adults, and those are people who have anger and resentment towards their parents, but are confusingly tied close to their parents oftentimes or the memory of their parents. Um, They might be intrusive with their caregiving and intrusive in relationships and then third type of of attachment is the disorganized attachment and that comes out of the child who is both um, terrified of their caregiver but also because we're wired for this connection goes to their caregiver for comfort. And that is really confusing to our bodies Mm. and to our nervous system. And so that becomes very disorganized. Those are kids who we see who uh, have no clear pattern and are trying everything possible to attach to different people. Um, And we end up with kids with really extreme behaviors in that. So how that plays out is that it's really important as we look at those adults and we come into relationship with those adults to be compassionate, About those styles of attachment, and recognize what you said was hope, Valerie, that the relationship can um, bring healing, right? And that that is an important piece because what we're aiming for is something called secure attachment, and secure attachment um, is where an adult is able to give care, able to receive care, negotiate their needs, and be their own self. We call it autonomous self in relationships, and that's a really important piece, but this doesn't happen without fierce honesty and compassion from another person. And it's a long journey to come to secure attachment. And, um, but the end result is deep connection. Mm. And so when you enter into a relationship with another adult, that's a beautiful thing that you can offer that journey and that companionship in that journey.
2: I've got a quick question about your foster sister. Yes. Is that, My adopted sister.
1: One, yes. Sorry. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. No, your okay.
2: adopted sister. After you learned these things was, I mean, how did it play out in your family? Were you able to utilize the tools and share it with her? Do you see improvement? Have you seen healing in her? I mean, what's the dynamic
1: of that relationship like today? I, I actually framed it as it, her trauma played out in her whole life. She actually died when she was 42. Oh, so, my um, and let's see, that would have been eight years ago. So it was just, that was a piece though of God bringing wow. me on this journey and discovering TBRI because seeing how her um, hurts played out during yes. her life. Um, and I don't think everyone would recognize the impact on, on health, but the pieces I'm talking about today play out our whole life, even like we talked last week about the ACEs score, right? Like trauma impacts our, our health and yeah. our whole life. And so her early death was, I really believe, um, a lifetime of trauma and living wow. out that chaos. So. And
2: a, and a catalyst for you to learn everything wow. you have it's learned to, to help and prevent that for yes. others. Wow. Yes.
1: It's a piece of, I feel like God redeeming a story for
2: yeah. me. Oh my goodness. That's so touching. Chris, sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to say? As I listened to
0: you, um, I'm sure you have seen a lot of success in helping people not only deal with their own trauma, but deal with people that have been through trauma how do you even define success as you walk alongside someone? What is your definition?
1: Actually, that's what was popping in my head as you said success. And I thought, I'm not sure everyone would measure it that way. Right. Um, I think there's two sides to that coin when, so walking along foster and adoptive parents, I think of the success as helping the parent recognize their own journey and their, their own attachment style and, um, what they, how they can offer a relationship to their child and navigating that in a way that doesn't, um, that brings healing, right? That, that doesn't have those long-term impacts of trauma. And um, I think that for offering the kiddo the I, I guess it's just such a long term thing, right? Like, success is being able to stay in a relationship and see growth. And in the end, I think that's really all we can offer our children is growth. You know, we're going to mess up. <laughs> it's interesting as I listen to you,
0: you definitely are dealing with the trauma of someone else, but you are talking about how we view ourselves and how we can change ourselves mm-hmm. to best help people and best walk alongside people?
1: Well, that beginning part of that secure attachment for, uh, there's a, I think it's, I don't remember the percentage of number of people with secure attachment because of the work I'm in. I have trouble believing the high numbers of secure attachment, right? Because I don't get to see, engage with people with super healthy relationships, but we get to offer that attachment and that, um, safe space for people to grow. And a secure attachment is uh, to another individual is a place where we can change that brain that we talked about earlier, that growth. While the foundation might not have been secure, maybe it was disorganized or maybe it was anxious attachment, what can happen in adulthood in a secure relationship is a change in our brain and the change in the way we engage others. And what's amazing to me is that will change generations to come. Yeah. Because if I change how I parent, um, that will change how my kids parent and how they engage in relationships. And what's really interesting for me is that if, um, I can't remember if we mentioned this last time, but if we look at your grandparents' attachment, that you, that will be very similar to how your kids attach to their to their children, that we can, we don't even have to look at the middle generation to understand the attachment patterns that happen. Mm -hmm. So unless we're fiercely honest with that understanding of relationships, then that pattern just keeps happening.
2: What would you suggest for people who have not had healthy attachment models? Um, It would be really difficult just because of tradition or what's nor, been normal to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what would you say to someone who's saying, you know what, I've never even seen it modeled. Mm. How am I supposed to, to, and I know we all have that conscience of what's good and bad and right and wrong, but beyond that, how do you help someone who's never had a pattern of
1: proper and healthy attachments? You know, I think, uh, sometimes we don't know that there's another way until we're exposed to it, right? That uh, you hear this from people who travel that, that when they go to another culture, all of a sudden they're like, wow, I never thought about which hand you pick up the fork with. It just, yeah. it just happens, right? Like you're just challenged to think about things in a new way. Not that your fork matters, but all of a sudden your brain is, is challenged. That's true of relationship. And so entering into Healthy relationships and having someone who repeatedly will come back to you, repeatedly will stay in a relationship, is a beautiful thing. Mm. Uh, and being fiercely honest and reflecting it, start digging into those uh, YouTube videos on those short videos that talk about attachment and just think what what is that? Yeah. What does that look like? There's uh, some resources. There's a book called Anchored. It's a Bible study that Um, deals with attachment. And there's some other resources as well, as we dig into what does it look like to find healing? That
2: point you made is exactly the underpinnings of hand-in-hand mentorship, because it is the gift of being inspired by another healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in many of the situations where people come from family dysfunction, their circle of influence is very, small and contained within mm-hmm. extended family dysfunction. And they never really get outside of that and are able to see how it can be. Mm-hmm. And so this, this connecting within the community with um, families, individuals that can be positive role models is really the reason we're doing what we're doing. We hope that it will inspire people to seek for something more, that there is something better as far as relationships and Um, you know what they can enjoy yeah you know
1: I think Dr. Purvis used to say that in regard to parenting that if we can get it right 30% of the time and then mess up 30% of the time and then repair 30% of the time
2: Mm. that it's okay
1: like it and and that kind of helped me because if I can just get my parenting right thirty percent of the time, yeah. I feel like I can achieve that versus a hundred percent. That's success. true, though, of your mentor the, the definition of success. Yeah. Thirty percent. The <laughs> and then making it up right the yeah. rupture and repair, and so those ruptures and repairs are equally as important as the getting it right. And so that's an important concept for your mentors. They're not going to get this right all the time. Right. They're gonna. They're gonna. Break a relationship or enter into a relationship where someone hasn't trusted someone like this before, and they're going to fail them because that's real life. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: being uh, an example of what it looks like to rupture and then repair a relationship is key, right? Yeah, you
2: know, one thing I thought was really interesting with Dr. Purvis's videos was she talked about the, and I mentioned this because along the lines of you can learn these skills. You can, even if it's never been modeled, you can develop Mm
1: -hmm. these tools.
2: She talked about play, playing Mm -hmm. with your children. Do you remember that? Like just that play disarms fear and it builds this connection and it teaches social skills. And you know what? That is really hopeful. Everyone can play with their kids and just kind of merge into the world of your children for a period of time and enjoy them. And that, even that, is building these strong connections and trust with your children.
1: When I moved from the East Coast to Colorado, a cultural shift we saw was when people say, what do you do? In the East Coast, it was, well, I am a," and you'd give off your career because that was what was most important. In Colorado, what do you do? Well, I mountain bike and then I ski. And then on the off seasons, I... (laughs) And so it was just this cultural shift of like, oh, I'm allowed to play? (laughs) And for me, that was really important. And I, I use that example sometimes when I teach about play because adults get to play too. And it's really important in their nervous system because play disarms that fear, right? And so playfully engaging with another person and that laughter and fun is an important element of a relationship.
2: Yeah.
0: And how important is is that to know? Because I think a lot of times, at least in my experiences, I get into these complex relationships and I think I need a master's degree in social work to understand how to do this. And truly probably people do need to deal with experts in certain situations. But as a mentor, what's, been surprising is that it's really the simple things that I do that seem to have an impact. For instance, this week I had a conversation with someone and I had reached out to her instead of her reaching out to me when she's in trauma and and things are difficult. And I reached out to her and it was almost like she was surprised because she'd kind of gotten herself into a bind through some choices and circumstances. And so it was like she was surprised that I called her and thanked me just for calling her. Mm -hmm. And so as simple as just staying connected to someone or just playing with your child, sometimes
1: those simple things can really be the most helpful. Yeah. Showing up is a big deal, isn't it? Just showing up consistently because the beginning of this was about the infant who had a caregiver show up consistently to meet needs. Right. And that that was the foundation for relationships. And, when we have an adult who does that for us, we can learn about secure attachment, right? We can change the way we interact because we begin to trust that you're, you're going to call me, Chris, and you're going to be faithful even when I am at my worst. Yeah, I matter. I'm seen. And you're still there through it. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's
2: so true. You know, Matt Shaughnessy was someone we interviewed in our first podcast that we've done and he recognized how troubled and um, just very difficult his childhood was and how he was mm. raised and treated and he said basically I I refuse to inherit dysfunction like I'm mm. it stops here I'm not I'm not doing this to my children mm-hmm. and I, I read this quote the other day about um you know, the passing of traditions, how we can break negative traditions. And it says, learn new ways of living instead of repeating what you lived through. And it really is just that. It's about learning, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what we've been talking about here, trying to figure out how to do things differently, learning, uh, watching those videos, talking to people, associating with other families that have healthy relationships, but I loved that just to refuse
1: to inherit dysfunction.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And, and for your mentors that they get to be a part of changing generations. Yeah. And for the families, they can learn that, right? Like that's hope on both sides. So true. So Michelle,
2: sometimes when we enter into these mentoring relationships, it can be difficult to navigate boundaries how does that fit into a healthy
1: relationship what counsel would you give so i think that as we enter into relationships and try and navigate what those boundaries are um, i mentioned last time like recognize what you can give for the next year right like enter enter into that not saying well i'll be here every night till midnight and then after a month of being tired of that that you say No, I only can be called until dinner time, right? Like that, I just gave an extreme example, but recognizing what can I really consistently give? But when we look at attachment, and the reason that's important is because it's that consistency. It's showing up again and again, right? And being aware of the other person's history. You might not know it, but watch it. Watch it play out and be aware of how they interact. Recognize that trust is slow to come. For that person maybe or recognize that uh, they dive so far in that it it doesn't make sense to engage in a relationship that way and they need to look at those boundaries and so respond to them consistently and help them with those boundaries by teaching them those ways of interacting when we talk about those secure relationships of giving care receiving care negotiating needs and being our own self That's part of boundaries, right? Like me being able to give you care and me being able to receive care, there's boundaries in that of what I can give you and what I can receive. Um, Negotiating needs is me being able to say what I need to you and likewise you being able to say what you need to me. That doesn't put it on me to always meet your needs, but to hear you out and say, this is how I can meet that need or this is where my limits are. And so I think that helps people when we consider the other person's history, why they might be over trying to overstep the boundaries we've set. And so staying firm with those boundaries and knowing what's true to yourself and recognizing that that might take some explanation to the other person because of their history.
2: Chris and I had the chance to have lunch with Brianna LeClaire, who's the director of City Lights. Mm-hmm. Or City Light, is it Light, Chris, or Light? Light, any mm-hmm, light? City light. And she emphasized that having boundaries is really an act of compassion because Mm -hmm. then they learn proper relationships. They learn why relationships are healthy is actually because there are boundaries. And I thought that was really interesting because sometimes my propensity is to change the rules for someone who has come from a different past. And like you said, it's important to recognize that and how that plays into their patterns and behavior. But um, being able to communicate those boundaries is a gift to them because it will help them in other
1: relationships. It will. I think that if we always go back to like, how does this work out with kids? That's really helpful to me to understand how it works out with adults. So it's compassionate to tell a kid what they can and can't do and where the yard is so that they're not just wandering through the neighborhood. Right. And I think of boundaries that way is like the fence line for my, this is mine and this is who I am and you're welcome to be invited into the space, but that this is where I can set the limits. And I think that's important and it's compassionate and it helps someone to know who hasn't had that demonstrated to them how to negotiate that because that's important in a job that's important in simple things of buying your groceries right and where my space is and and in boundaries and just all these different ways our attachment and relationships play out so you know how you interact with a cashier is different than how you interact with a close friend but not everyone knows that right
0: i remember um in one of my relationships um feeling like we had progressed when instead of always talking about the the struggles and chaos in her own life that she asked about mine Mm. and then you feel like okay this is more reciprocal reciprocal that's a good word for it chris yes yeah and and i would say healthy and more ideal right that Mm -hmm. we all lift each other maybe come to the point where it's more of a back and forth rather than. A one way street. Mm
1: -hmm. But if you never had a caregiver, typically mom, right, in early months, who did that back and forth game of I look at you and then the baby makes eye contact back and back and forth. That foundation isn't there for back and forth. Mm -hmm. If no one ever said to me, I care about what's going on in your life, then I might not know how to ask someone else that and I might want to just keep telling you of my problems because no one ever hears me anyways.
0: So do you feel like that those types of changes come like more in adult life than ever in young life?
1: Uh, Well, I think that if the parent is making changes, then they can make changes in the child-parent relationship and then it carries into adulthood. I think there's no time in life where, Our brain quits changing so there's hope always um our our brains those first three years are making so many connections just growing so fast so that's why we put a lot of focus on that those teenage years are also a time right when there's a lot of growing in the brain and pruning neurons in the brain and so that's also a really key time of relationships and then uh, throughout life though people who fiercely go after that healing go after like i want this healthiness and are willing to to keep working at that they can make changes throughout their life and i think of it like an onion too right like we might find healing in a certain area and then in a new new relationship it's hard to to interact it's it's not as if if i'm entangled every single relationship is is the same messiness. It might seep into all the relationships, but we can have different vents with different different people because someone might trigger some of my old mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, Chris, I loved what you said about reciprocity. I have felt a strong connection to one of the girls that I've been good friends with the last couple of years. I would say it was typically in the past something where I listened but now i share with her my challenges and my the things that we are going through and when life is difficult for us i share those with her and i have felt this closeness come between us and i feel like it's been such a blessing for her but also for me you know that we can have that relationship with each other that we can we can share those things that she knows how much I care about her, and that now she's starting to feel a concern for me. And that, in and of itself, is you can just tell it's tutoring for her to feel that concern for another and to evaluate life through another's eyes as well. So, what a gift! Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: Michelle, it has once again been so beneficial to us to be with you today and learn from you. You have obviously put so much of your heart and soul and effort into your field and obviously your experiences. And uh, this makes um, this learning for us so valuable because we can listen to you and see how it, it can prove helpful in people's lives. And I know it's helpful for our mentors and hopefully mentees too, to kind of evaluate where they've come from. Um, If someone is interested in learning about your work or getting your help, whether it's with fostering or adopting or trauma issues, how can they learn more about you, Michelle?
1: So I am a parenting coach. I'm not a licensed counselor. So that's an important piece of what I do. Um, But my website is www.hopeparenting.com. And that's a good place to learn more about my story and my what I offer for families.
2: How does it work with your trauma parent coaching as far as uh, do you visit the people in their homes or do you have an office? How does that look like?
1: I offer a few different things. One is a lot of my work is now on Zoom. It was prior to being at home all the time. I provide TBRI caregiver training. I provide parent coaching and I do those things through Zoom. Uh, I also do a play and learn group where I use that play idea to teach parenting and to change patterns in homes so that the parents can change patterns in homes. Um, and for that, I do a play curriculum. That's neat. Wow. Love
2: that. I'd love to see you in action. I bet that's <laughs> very entertaining. <laughs>
1: It's fun. <laughs> well, Michelle,
0: thank you once again for joining us. It's www.hopeparenting.com, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you for being with us.
2: All right. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Michelle. We hope you have enjoyed our podcast today and have learned something that will benefit your life. Our organization is called Hand-in-Hand Hand Family Mentorship, and our goal is is to bring hope through friendship and mentoring. We match supportive and encouraging individuals with families that are in need of an added support system. These referrals come to us from the Department of Health and Welfare, Family Advocates, and Boise Rescue Mission Ministries. These are individuals who come from hard places who are trying to keep their children out of foster care or regain custody. They're trying to get their lives back on track, trying to overcome trauma and lead productive lives. We believe that the power of a positive, healthy connection is the first step in healing. Please visit us at www.handinhandmentoring.org and be a part of the solution.